0: We're continuing our study in the life of Moses. And this morning, I'm hoping that you will take the time to really try to put yourself in Moses' shoes. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They have made their way to Sinai. Moses has spent 40 days on the mountain with God. God looks at Moses and said, Moses, uh, there's a problem down below uh, with the people. You need to go down there and figure it out and fix it. So Moses heads down the mountain. He meets Joshua along the way. He and Joshua then start heading into the camp and they see a golden calf and they see an incredible party that is way, way, way out of hand. So Moses confronts Aaron and says, "What's going on?" And Aaron basically says, "Well, it's not my fault. Uh, the people wanted a thing. We put a bunch of gold together, and out came a calf. So Moses takes the calf, he grinds it up, he puts it, makes a powder out of it. He makes the people drink it. He then tells people that they must make a choice. The Levites, he said, wants to know who's on God's side. The Levites join Moses. Moses then sends the Levites through the camp and says, you need to find out who's on God's side and who's not. If they're not on God's side, take their life. And 3,000 people die. And Moses then looks at the people and says, I'm going to go see if I can make something right with God here now, based on what you've done. And that's where we ended our story last week. So I want you to just think about it from the perspective of Moses for a moment. He's tired. He's probably pretty frustrated with these people. He's trying to help them. He's trying to get them to the promised land. He's gotten, helped them get out of slavery. He's trying to get them to follow God. And he is exhausted from all of this because at every turn he seems to be fighting these people. At one point, God made the offer before he went down the mountain that, that basically God would wipe them out and start all over. And so when we pick up our story, we're going to pick it up at a very unique place. And again, when, when we talk about these stories, often these are the parts of the stories we skip over. But yet I think in all of these things, there are so many great lessons for us that help us as we try to go forward in times when you and I are faced with situations like Moses. We're lonely, we're frustrated, we're discouraged, we're kind of overwhelmed. And it's easy to lose focus during those times. So when we pick up the story, that's where we're picking it up. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we're in Exodus chapter 33, and uh, here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Now let's just stop for a minute. Who brought them up out of Egypt? God did, but what is God saying to Moses? You brought them up. This is a test. This is a test. You're going to see this over and over again uh, because God's testing him. God wants to find out where his heart is. You brought up out of Egypt and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out all of the ites, all right? The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pesites, the Hivites, the all the ites are going to be gone, okay? That's what we're going to do. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. God says, Moses, I'm going to do exactly what I promised. I'm going to send somebody else with you. I pretty much had it with these people. And I'm afraid I will wipe them out. Notice what he goes on to say. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. No one put on any ornaments, for the Lord has said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment I might destroy you. Now take off the ornaments, I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. In other words, this, this was an idea of, you. think about it for a minute. Um, it's the difference between your your. your, your church going out to eat fancy clothes and your everyday working around the house farm clothes right they were going off as if some great thing was happening and so they're all dressed up they've got their ornaments they've got their necklaces and their jewelry and everything else so when you take all of that off and, and, and the old testament was the idea of sackcloth and ashes almost it was it was a period of mourning you made yourself as plain as possible and these people are like, you know what, let's get rid of all of this stuff. There's nothing to celebrate here. Let's get rid of this, and maybe we can get the attention of God. Maybe God will change his mind. So that's the now. Now, just stop for a second and ask yourself, if you're Moses, what's going through your head right now when you have been with God and you have been meeting with God and God has led you, and then God says, hey, look, from this point on, somebody else is going to lead you. I'm, I'm kind of done with you. How encouraged are you at this moment if you're Moses? And what's your thinking right now? If that was you, how would you be thinking right now? Because I this is so important to lay this groundwork before you understand what Moses is about ready to say and do. Because I mean, my thing would be well, look, God, if that's it, I'm out too. I mean, come on, you're God. If you don't want anything to do with them, what in the world do I want to do with them? Would that not be most of our mindset? Would that not be right? I'll wash my hands of them too, God. I'll tell you what, I'll go that way, you go that way, we'll just let them all die right here. I don't need this. I've had enough. Ever been there? Ever been there? Notice what happened. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of the meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, All the people rose up and stood at the entrances to their tent, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Moses would go out to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down. Notice what it goes on to say. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord... Would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Moses would go, this was kind of his routine. Moses would head out, he would go to the tent. When everybody saw Moses would go in the tent, it was a big deal because they knew what was going to happen. God was going to come down and talk to Moses face to face. And so they would all stand just in awe of this. And then Moses would go back to his tent, and Joshua was like, I am not leaving here. I'm going to stay and enjoy every moment of this. And even the people would stand and worship because their idea was this was such an awesome sight. So with that that, that was the relationship that God and Moses had, kind of this this just like a friend kind of thing. Notice what it goes on to say. Now again, remember Moses' mindset when we started this thing. Moses said to the Lord, By the way, remember this. He's talking to God. Talking to God, creator of the universe. You've been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with me. By the way, remember that this nation is your people. Okay? Uh, P.S. I caught that little bit earlier when you said, I let them out. No, 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 no. These are your people, not mine. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In other words, God said, Look, Moses, I understand you're tired, I understand you're frustrated. I understand all that. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you rest. And he goes on to say this. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? In other words, God, your reputation is at stake here. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Instead of focusing on his situation and how he was feeling and what he was dealing with, he goes back to this idea of no wait a minute God, I'm your person. You and I have a relationship. You're not going to send you're not going to send the B team in to lead us you're my God, you're my God, you're the one who who I want to lead us. I want you to go with this. And if you're not going to go, then let us stay right here. There's no reason for us to go on, God. If you're not with us, let's just forget. Now, again, at any point, Moses could have said, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. Yet he goes before God and says, God, look, you and I have a relationship because we have a relationship, I'm not going to follow somebody else. I'm only going to follow you. You're the one that needs to lead us. These are your people. We want to do, I want to, and he starts out by saying, I want to learn everything I can about you. It's about you and me in this thing together leading these people. Then Moses does what I think is probably one of the boldest moves in all of Scripture. Listen to what he does. Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Here's what Moses says. God, I'm tired of this cloud and fire thing. You're my friend. We talk. I want to see you face to face. I want to see you in all your glory. (laughs) Wait a minute. This is a bold ask. Ask. This is a huge, bold ask. I mean, can you imagine going to the creator of the universe and saying, hey, by the way, let's see face-to-face. No more of this cloudfire thing. Notice what God does. God says, and we're going to talk about this next week, because we can't get into all of the implications of this thing. But notice what he said. And the Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face. For no one can see me and live. Going on. Then the Lord said, But, here's what I will do. There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by Then I will remove my hand you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. God said, I'll tell you what, Moses, you can't see my face. But here's what I will do. I will put you in a little bitty cave, so to speak. I will cover that cave door as I will start to walk by. And then as I walk by Moses, I will take my hand away, and you will get to see me walking away. I will do that for you. This is the closest anyone comes to seeing God in all of his glory. By the way, this is what, again, rabbit trail but fun. Do you understand the significance of the Christmas story when Jesus comes and wraps himself in flesh? It's the same God wrapped in flesh. But it was too much for any person to be able to see and live. That's where we're going to end the story this morning. Because I think there's a phenomenal lesson, and just one. One, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, but there's one I want to focus on this morning, and that's it. That's it. Moses desired, more than anything else, to experience the presence of God in his life. He wanted to know what it was like to see God face to face. He wanted to be as close as he possibly could to God. That's his desire. His desire is to be intertwined, to be linked with God in that close personal experience where he knew he was with God and God was with him and they were in this together. And he makes this super bold request. He says, first of all, God, I want want to learn everything I can about you. So much so that I want to see you. I want to be with you. I want to sense this this idea. And one of the things that you see in the life of Moses is what he's saying here is, I really want to experience God as, as close as I possibly can. And here's my challenge to us: Do we have that mindset? How close do we want to be with God? How could, because, see, we're in a world that focuses on experience, right? So when I talk about the term experiencing God, here's what most of us think of. Most of us think of this, this um, uh, feeling-oriented kind of thing, this sensory kind of thing. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to minimize that. I have had situations in my life where I, I have been in a situation where there was an overwhelming Supernatural kind of presence that no one in the room, no one could explain or understand. Um, I, I've had those situations. I've I, I've had it when I've been in services, or when I've been counseling people in hospitals, or in in certain situations where uh, you know you're in some place and it's just there's this there's there's this calm that comes. And you know that it has to be from God. I mean, there's just no other explanation for it. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about experiencing God on an everyday, day-by-day day kind of experience. I'm talking about something that we tend, to, we tend to think this idea of, you know, well, maybe I'll have one of those experiencing God kind of moments. What I want us to understand is that's not what experiencing God really is. Um, there's a great book, if, you, if you're a reader and you've never read this book, you need to read this book. And I don't say that about a lot of books, but here's one of them. It's Henry Blackaby's book called Experiencing God. And Henry Blackaby basically takes the life of Moses, and he talks about how God is at work and all of this. And in this book, he talks a lot about this idea of experiencing God. And he talks about the idea, one of the things that he talks about is the idea of relationship. And he said, a relationship, there are lots of things of all relationship, but three big keys are this. In, in, a, in a close relationship, there is love, okay? Um, there is a commitment to put, sal- to put others before you, and there is honesty. And he talks about that in relationships. Let, let, let me relate it to my wife and in, in, in our marriage, okay? In our marriage and our life, what happened? There is love. I genuinely love this woman, okay? There is also a basis in which I want to put her needs in front of mine okay that's ultimately what love is is putting somebody else in front of you and then there's honesty where I'm honest with her about stuff with those as three keys in a relationship we can have a very close relationship because of those three things and the more in-depth those things go the closer our relationship can be does that make sense You pull one of those out, and now it gets shaky. If, for instance, I decide that I want to start buying tools, but I don't want her to know about it, so I start putting them on other credit cards. Now all of a sudden, the honesty is not there in the relationship, and it's going to affect the relationship. When she's sitting there going, you know, I really want, you know, and she doesn't say this, but let's say she would, I really want a new couch, and. I'm putting my needs, I understand you need a new couch, but you've got to understand, I want three drills, not two. And I put my needs in front of hers, the relationship starts to to suffer. And and so in a relationship, one of the things that you have is is that as an idea, and that's what you see in the life of Moses and God. He genuinely loves God. He wants to follow God. You find this honesty with them, and, and Moses and God being very candid and honest with each other. And you find this idea where Moses says, I'm going to put my needs in front of you. So much so that he intercedes and actually then is willing to sacrifice his life for all of those people. So you see all of these elements involved in it uh, when we talk about experiencing God. So let's just talk about what it means, and then I'm going to apply it to the life of Moses and, and help you understand it so that it's not this fuzzy, ethereal kind of thing as far as experiencing God. One of the things that you see in Bible characters who've experienced God is you see this idea, and this is the foundation of it, trust and obedience. It starts there. In that situation, what you have is if you really want to genuinely experience God in your life, you have to be able to trust and obey God. Just straight across the board. Great example, Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham? What happened? God says, Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham goes, question God, where are we going? And he says, you just start walking, I'll tell you. And Abraham goes. That's what you have. You have it in the life of Moses. What happens? God says, hey, Moses, is, Moses is just taking care of animals. And God comes up in a burning bush and says, hey, look, it's time to lead the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt. And Moses says, okay, but I'm not a good speaker. I, I'll cover that, Moses. I'll give you a guy called Aaron. Aaron will do the speaking. And then when you read the story, Aaron doesn't talk. Moses Moses does. But Moses is willing to say, okay, God, if that's what you want. So so you have this idea of trust and obedience. You have to to be able to take what God says and do it God's way, regardless of whether or not you think that's the best way to do it. See, it, it starts with that. And this is where a lot of people get stuck. A lot of people don't get to experience and understand God in their life because they know what they should do, but they don't want to do it. Just like Jonah, what happens? God says, okay, Jonah, go do this. And Jonah goes, "Mm, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So does Jonah really get to experience God? No. And the, the crazy thing about the story of Jonah, the greatest revival in all of the Old Testament, more people say than any other time in the Old Testament, in the life of Jonah, and you know where you find Jonah? Sitting on a hill mad at God. As a prophet, instead of saying, oh, God, thank you that all these people came to God, Jonah, because he wouldn't trust and obey, us. now sitting up griping and complaining. He can't even enjoy that which God has done as a part of, what he, as part of his preaching. It's insane. But yet, that's the reality of it. You have to be able to trust and obey. So here's what it comes down to. If you really want to experience God in your life, you have to trust and obey. What that means is this. You have to do what God says to do it the way God says to do it. You know that person that you're angry with right now? Forgive them. Oh, but you don't understand. Stop. Forgive them. Why? Trust and obedience. Forgive one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Trust, obey. That's where you start. You don't understand. You know how bad they hurt me? Stop. Trust, obey, forgive one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's where you start. But I don't feel like it. God didn't say, do it when you feel like it. God said, forgive one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The standard is, you know how God forgave you? That's how you forgive other people. That's it. Well, you don't understand. You know, that person did this to me and I have the opportunity to get back at him so I'm going to take advantage of it. Stop. Trust and obey. Be kind, tender-hearted. But you don't stop. Trust and obey. Be kind, tender-hearted. That's where you start. You do what you know that God says to do. Trust and obey. That's how you start to experience God. That's what you're going to see in the life of Moses. And that's where we get, that's where we get Where we struggle, because all of a sudden, why? We want to make excuses for everything. We talked about this last week. Choices have consequences. And in this story, you see everybody making all kinds of excuses. That's a problem. Is that not the problem with our culture right now? I mean, everybody wants to blame everybody else. When was the last time you had a group get together and say, okay, here's our ownership of the problem? Because since the Garden of Eden, we've learned to blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. Parents, kids, listen to me. Did your parents do it right? Nah, they made mistakes. And so will you. You can't blame your parents for the way you turned out. You turned out the way you turned out because of the choices you made. Period. Well, if I was brought up in a different environment with different parents. No. doesn't work like that. You say, well, no, no, no. we were taught. I know what you were taught. You were taught wrong. Okay? Because the Bible's really, really clear. You You are a product of the choices you make. Period. Adam and Eve had perfect parent, God. In a perfect environment, no sin. In a perfect world. And they made a bad choice. If you say Adam and Eve are at fault, then you have to say that, that God didn't do what God, no, God gave them a perfect environment and a perfect world as a perfect parent, and they made a choice to go, nah, sorry, we don't need any of that. It's not about your environment, it's about the choices you make. And that is so important that we get, we get this idea. So as we start out, one of the things we have to step back and look at is go, okay, you know what, as I look at it, trust and obey. Stop making excuses. Start there. Do what God you know God wants you to do. And go and do it. Trust and obey. Second idea is this. One of the things that you and I have to start doing is we have to start realizing that God is at work around you. I think this will change your life if you can get a hold of this concept. God is constantly at work around you. You just don't see it. Because you're not thinking that way. That's what, look. One of the reasons I wanted to get back to, and one of the reasons I stand up here on Sunday morning and do testimonies and say, tell me what God's doing in your life this week, because I want you to start seeing God's been working in your life all week long. You know, do we get incredible situations like a car accident and walking away? Yes. But you know what? Every one of us has a, could stand up this today and say, here's a testimony. I drove to work six times this week. And God kept every car where it was supposed to be, every time. I got up today, and all of my lung, both of my lungs worked. My heart continued to beat today. It's got to work. I got up and went to a refrigerator full of food. That's got to work, God providing for you. I got out and started my car, and it turned over and started. That's got to work. God is at work around you all the time, but yet we become so blind to it and we're so accustomed to it that we don't see it anymore. And one of the things that happens in experiencing God is you start to recognize the fact that God is always at work around you. You go to work, you see that person as a problem, that's God at work. That's God giving you an opportunity. You go and, and, and struggle and fight and, and, you know, finances and this and that. and all, and all That's God at work going, look, well, let's figure some stuff out. God is constantly at work around you. And that's what you and I have got to start to understand and see. Because when you start to understand and see that, then you, the next idea is this. It becomes about God, not you. And you can all of a sudden say, like Moses, okay, God, look, we're in this together, how can I honor and glorify you? Because that's what you see in the life of Moses, constantly. Moses should have said, forget it, I'm out of here. That's why I think Moses is one of the greatest leaders um, in in the Old Testament particularly. I think he's one of the greatest examples in in the Old Testament. I think he is number one in the Old Testament um, as far as Bible character, simply because of this. Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, he puts God's glory in front of his needs constantly. And that's a challenge for us. So the question is not, God, why is this happening to me? The question becomes, God, how can I glorify you through this? So you're struggling? How's God going to be glorified? So let's just talk about it. You know, the COVID, the whole COVID thing. So let's say let's say next week I come down with COVID. The question is not, God, deliver me. Don't let me get sick. The question is, how can I glorify God through what I'm going through? That's the question. At work, that person who's just under your skin, you know who I'm talking about? I call them porcupine people. They're people that you just can't get close to without getting poked. Um, how can you... How can God use you to minister to them? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about allowing God to use you and not putting your own needs. God, this person's driving me nuts. Get get rid of them. Have them fire them, move departments, you know, all kinds of bad things that could happen so that they're out of my hair. That's the way we want to pray. Instead of praying, Lord, how can you use me to be a blessing to that person? How can You want a real test, a real challenge? How can you encourage people on social media with all of the hate and animosity and poking the bear that is going on? How can you be a bright light of encouragement in something that, in, look, let's just be honest. Everything is attacking this person and attacking that person and da-da-da. We don't need to be playing those games. God can use us to be somebody who's, got, who's a reasonable voice, a, a calm voice in a world of chaos. What happens is then, is then you come to this understanding that God wants to use people. And I don't know if you've thought about this. You've got a friend you're burdened for. Let's say you want him to come to Christ. You want him to understand salvation. Have you ever thought about how God could do that? You pray for him. Lord, you know, pray, for, pray for, I don't know, whoever. Come up with a name, you know, Uh, pray for, um, every time I think of it, uh, I know, pray for Alexis, okay? Alexa, Alexa, there you go, pray for Alexa. My wife has a hatred for Alexa. But anyway, um, it's the idea of, you know, so let's say I'm praying for Alexa, okay? Not Amazon Alexa, but let's pray, I'm praying for Alexa, okay? If God wanted Alexa to get saved, and God does, one of the things God could do is say, you know what, I'm going to answer that prayer tomorrow night, at 9.30 when they're getting ready for bed, I'm going to put an angel in a room and explain to them salvation so they can put their faith and trust in me. God could do that. Could He not? Why doesn't He? Because God's chosen to use people. People are how God gets His message of salvation across. People. That was His choice. And when people learn to experience God on a daily basis then what happens is other people start to see the light and the testimony and come to know Christ. That's how that happens. So we have to be lights in a dark world. Um, Let me walk through the life of Moses and and understand this. So how do we get from Moses here to I want to see your face? How do we get there? Here's here's, Here's it in a nutshell in shoe leather for you, if you will. In the life of Moses, what happened? Moses is born. You know the story. Uh, He ends up in Egypt. He's raised in Egypt in Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. One day he is doing what? Praying to see God's face? No. He's walking out one day. He sees a Hebrew being beat up by an Egyptian. And he gets into a fight. And he ends up taking the life of the Egyptian. And then he goes, well, now what I'm going to do. So he buries the Egyptian. He thinks nobody knows about it. He goes back. To the court. Next day he's walking around. Somebody walks up and says, hey, Moses, how you doing? Did you get that guy buried quick enough? And all of a sudden, like, it's, whoa, now i got a problem. Because once that gets to Pharaoh, I'm a dead person. So Moses, what? Trust and obey. He was honoring God by standing up for the Egyptians. Maybe he took it too far. He was honoring God by standing up, or standing up for the Hebrews. Now he finds himself basically destitute he's outside he's homeless he has no place to go he ends up farming and working animals probably a shepherd so how long does he do that for 40 years and the day that he meets god what's he doing he's just going through his routine he's done his little jewish thing he's worshiping god he's walking around he goes hey that bush looks like it's on fire and he keeps looking at it and nothing's happening i think i'm gonna go check that out i wonder if there's something unusual happening here this is god at work he didn't know that at the time he walks up and all of a sudden he realizes this is god and god says what moses i want you to go lead the people out i've been listening to them cry in slavery they want to come out you're my guy Trust and obedience. So what does Moses do? He sits there and he says, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, and I will go and do what you've asked me to do. And God, you know what? I, I, um, I, I don't think I'm the right guy. There's better people for this, but I'm willing to go if that's what you want me to do. I will put my ne- your needs ahead of my needs. And so I will go, and Moses goes. And the next thing you know, Moses is leading the children of Israel out. He's standing before Pharaoh on ten different occasions trying to plead for the people. Moses ends up leading the people out. Now he's got roughly two million people following him. He's now taking these people to the desert. He's now all of a sudden trying to find water for them and food and shelter and all this stuff. And every time they gripe and complain to him, he goes, what does he do? He goes back to God and he says, hey God, we got an issue here. Can you take care of this? God takes care of it, answers her prayer. Moses then gets this guy says, okay, Moses, we're going to set this thing up so you come up to the mountain, let's talk, let's get it all figured out. He gives him the commandments, sends him back down. And what do you find? You find Moses again, wanting to spend time with God. So after this whole thing, where do you find Moses? He's at the tent of the meeting, spending time with God. And God looks at him and says, okay, Moses, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses has a close enough relationship with God because it's been built daily over 80 plus years over watching God work, watching God use him, allowing God to use him, being trustworthy and obedient and following God. And God says, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And Moses goes, time out, God. That's not going to be acceptable. We're in this together. We have this relationship. You promised that you would be with me. And Lord, if you're not going to go, then let's just call it here right now for everybody. I'm not a part of it if you're not going with me. And God says, all right, Moses, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Hey, God, one more thing. I haven't seen your face yet. We're close. So I'm going to be bold enough to ask you of this incredible thing, to be able to see your face. Next week, we're going to talk about this. Because it is an incredible thing. And God says, Moses, I can't do that. But here's what I can do. And this is what I will do. And Moses is going to get a glimpse of the glory and majesty and the awesomeness of God. And there's only one other account in the New Testament where this gets close to happening. And that's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses gets to experience God because the reality of it is this Moses has experienced God all the way along this, this route. We talk about this great event of being able to see the glory of God, but the reality of it is Moses has a close enough relationship with God that he can ask big things. Here's my challenge for you this week. Trust and obey. Figure out what it is that God's working in your life that you just need to go be obedient about. Okay? Start there. This week, every day, on your way to work, on your way to do, whatever your routine is, fields, whatever else, Just start with a simple prayer. Lord, open my eyes today to you at work around me. Just open my eyes. Help me to think a little differently today about stuff. Then ask God very simply, Lord, help me in those situations to put their needs in front of my needs. Lord, use me. And I think when you come to the end of the week, and you gather together and you go, tell me how God's been at work this week. You can't believe how God's been at work this week. He did this and He did this and He did this and He did this. He's been doing that all week long. We just don't see it. Because we don't have that as a focus. And I want to challenge you because it literally will change the way you look at life. So when everybody else is whining and complaining and griping and everything else you'll be able to step back and say you know what um god's at work god's at work and like me you'll step back and go you know god there's a lot of other people you could use and i don't know why you've chosen to use me but thanks for using me and it'll be an incredible blessing to be able to see that so i end this morning with this idea God desires a relationship with us. But in order for us to experience all that that involves, we've got to learn to trust and obey God. It comes as a result of daily following and obeying God's instruction. While living according to His will, it will be impossible for us not to do His will and to experience His work in our lives. Let me use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. It's easy sometimes, Lord, to want the... Spectacular, but the reality of it is, Lord, experiencing you just comes in the daily grind of life, and allowing you us to you allowing you to use us in little situations as well as big ones. So this week, Lord, help us. Help us to obey. Help us to do. Help us to open our eyes to that which you are doing, and may we join you in the areas that you're at work and allow you to use us to minister to the people who are hurting and who need it the most. These things we ask in your name.